So our main passage is Luke 9, 1 through 6. You can turn there. And prior to that, Daryl asked that I read Luke 6, 12 through 16. Verse 12. Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself, and from them he chose twelve, whom he also named apostles, Simon, whom he also named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, called the Zealot, Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who also became a traitor. And then from Luke 9, 1 through 6. Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he said to them, Take nothing for the journey, neither staffs, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics apiece. Whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And whoever will not receive you, When you go out of that city, shake off the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So they departed and went through the towns, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Thank you, Gary. Pray with me again, please. Lord, send us your spirit. Lord, send your spirit so I might accurately proclaim your word. And so that we would all rightly understand and appreciate and apply it in our lives. Give us your divine power to be able to do this, we pray. Amen. Well, for the past several weeks, as we've looked at the work of Christ throughout Luke chapter 8, I've made a common statement during these past messages. And that is, I pointed out to you that in those passages, we see very clearly that Jesus is the Son of God. And then I followed that up with another statement routinely. And because he's the son of God, he has great power and authority. In our passage today, we see Jesus delegate that power and authority to the apostles. And you know, I think this kind of passage can be instructive to us about an error that we can make in our Bible reading. And what I'm talking about is that, that we can have a tendency sometimes, I think, to too quickly want to get right away to thinking about how we might be able to apply this passage of Scripture to us. We, we read a passage of Scripture like this, and we want to connect it right away to us. Jesus gives these 12 apostles great power and authority. He gives them authority over demons. He gives those 12 power and authority to heal. And do you know the air that we might make? Some people will very quickly jump to, record, to believing that the main point of that passage is that they too have received this very same power and authority that was given to these people who they read about in that passage of Scripture. 
And they believe that every follower of Jesus has that very same power and authority. I know people who do this. I've heard sermons that propose this very specific type of thing. I'm not saying that Christians don't have any power or any authority. But what is this passage specifically stating? Is is that kind of authority for, for every follower of Jesus, is that what's declared here? It's not. In this passage, do you notice, is Jesus declaring, is Jesus giving this kind of special power and authority to every one of his followers? Is he doing that? Is he saying, anyone who trusts in me in this age and in the ages to come, you, you will have this kind of power and authority. That's not what Jesus is doing though, is it? But he's doing that only in this passage for these particular 12. For, For those 12 men whom he had specifically called earlier to be his specially appointed apostles. It was to those 12 men, Peter and Andrew and James and John and the other eight. It was to these 12 particular men at this particular point in redemptive history that Jesus sent out with this power and authority. This is a particular moment, a particular event in redemptive history. And we should first recognize that. You see, this is less about what you and I are to do. And this is far more about what Christ and his apostles did, of which we're the beneficiaries of. This is a turning point, a particular turning point in redemptive history. Up until this point, Who was doing the proclaiming? Who was doing the work of proclaiming and and proving that the kingdom of God had come? It was Jesus. Look back, if you would, at verse 1 of chapter 8. At the point of the gospel story where Luke 8, 1 begins, again I ask you this question, who was doing the proclaiming? What does Luke say there? Verse 1 of chapter 8. Soon afterward, he, meaning Jesus, went through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And who was with him? Luke 8, 1 continues. And the twelve were with him. And then Luke goes on to say that others were with him also, including the women who Luke references in the verses to follow. But at that point where Luke 8 begins, Jesus is the one who's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. And the 12 apostles are simply there with him, observing him, listening to him. And I would suggest being trained, being discipled, learning from him. Now flip back to chapter 9. And what does Jesus do in our passage here this morning? 
verse 1. Jesus calls the 12 apostles and he delegates to them power and authority. He gives them the ability to do what Christ had been doing for these last chapters. To do what Christ had been doing for this last year and a half or two years. And then in verse 2, in verse two he sends these 12 men out to do what he's been doing. He sends them out now to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. So do you see the point that I'm making about how this passage isn't first and foremost about what you and I are to do. But this is far more about what Jesus did. And then about those whom he specifically called to continue to expand and advance the kingdom of God. Again, this is a turning point in redemptive history where instead of it being only Jesus who's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God and doing miraculous things, this is a point where the advancement of the kingdom of God begins to be accomplished by others in Christ's name. And that's what we'll see in the years to come as the pages of of the New Testament unfold before us. Here I think that these very same apostles will do very shortly after Pentecost in those early chapters of Acts. In chapters 3 and 4 of Acts, Peter, with John with him, heals a crippled man at the entrance of the temple. The Lord has given him the power and authority to heal. And then what does Peter do? Then, Then Peter proclaims the good news of the gospel of Christ. And then Peter and John are arrested by the Jewish ruling council. They're held in jail. The next day, they're questioned by the council. And do you remember the question that the, that the Jewish leaders put to them? Acts 4, 7. By what power or by what name did you do this thing? And Peter responds saying, Let it be known to you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing well before you. The events of our passage today are the beginning of so much of what comes throughout the book of Acts and beyond. Christ, enabling the good news of the kingdom of God to go out with power and authority. Now not only by him alone, but now by others. Now by these 12 apostles. And brothers and sisters in Christ, we owe no small debt to the work and the faithfulness of the apostles. For as we're told in Ephesians 2.20, that our faith is built upon the foundation of the prophets and the apostles, with Christ, of course, being the chief cornerstone. I've heard one preacher say that, that if the gospel were a movie, up until this point, the 12 apostles would have essentially only been extras on the set. But now they're given speaking parts. An apostle is one who's sent out. They're sent out with authority. They're sent out to represent the one who sent them. They're sent out with the authority to be that sending person's spokesperson. 
The apostle, the the ambassador, if you will, doesn't have the authority to say or do whatever he or she may desire, but they only have the authority to rightly represent the one who sent them. And Jesus sends these 12 men out in his authority, representing him, serving as his messengers. Jesus' ministry has primarily been centered in the region of Galilee, in Israel. And that being based there in Galilee, the time of his ministry of it being in Galilee is soon coming to an end. But before Jesus leaves that region, he wants his testimony to go out to every village and to every city in the region. And because of that, Christ commissions his apostles to carry out that mission. Now, when Jesus sends the twelve out here, what kind of power and authority does he grant to them? Well, look again at verse 1. Christ gives to them power and authority over demons. And he gives to them power and authority over disease. Verse 2 tells us more about this power and authority that Christ gives to them. Verse 2, he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Christ sends his apostles out on a two-part mission. You can think of it as a mission to proclaim and to prove. They're to proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, the disciples aren't going, though, to be able to proclaim the cross yet, are they? It's early in the story for them to be able to include that in their proclamation. So what will it be that they will proclaim? Well, it'll be what they've heard Jesus proclaim. They'll proclaim what what Luke and Christ here refer to as the kingdom of God. But look at how Luke references that in verse 6. Luke writes, The apostles departed and went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. What was it that the apostles preached? They preached the gospel. The gospel is simply a translation of the Greek word euangelion. And we understand that that word means good news. Now again, because the cross has not yet happened and and the apostles don't quite have their mind wrapped around what's going to happen with Jesus going to the cross just yet, the apostles aren't able to preach the good news of the cross, the good news that God has sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice for sinners. We know that that's true, but, but that wouldn't have been the gospel that the apostles would have been able to declare at this point in time. Again, because Christ has not yet gone to the cross. So what would it be that the apostles would have declared? Well, they would declare the good news that the kingdom of God is at hand. That was the message of John the Baptist, wasn't it? And that was the message of Christ. Again, Luke 8.1, And Christ went on, through the cities and the villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And that good news of the kingdom of God was that there is a God who is in heaven, who is a creator and sustainer of all things, and that he's all-powerful, 
and that he delights to save a people for himself. And he's done that before for the people of Israel in the past. And that he'll do that again. And now after some 400 years of silence from the Lord, of there being no prophet to go forth to Israel, God has now sent his ultimate prophet. God has sent the one of whom Isaiah and all of the, all of the prophets have promised. The Father has sent His Son, Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One, the long-promised, the long-awaited-for Savior of His people. And His name is Jesus of Nazareth. And that Jesus is ushering in a new era of the Kingdom of God, ushering in a new era of the reign of God. And to show that the reign of God has actually come in power and in authority, that Jesus and now these 12 men ministering in his name have the ability to turn back the effects of the fall. And Jesus and and those ministering in his name now have the ability to demonstrate authority over the power of the evil one. And he and they have the ability to restore people to right functioning in the healing of their diseases. This Jesus and those ministering in His name are now able to prove indeed that God's Messiah has come, that He is on the scene, and that all of God's promises are finding their fulfillment in Him. His deeds and the deeds of the apostles proving that Jesus is the one of whom Isaiah spoke when he said that the Father would send one on whom the Spirit of the Lord would rest. That one who had been anointed to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and to give recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And this one whom the Lord had promised for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years has now come, and he's come in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. That, my friends, is the good news of the kingdom of God that these 12 men declared. And it's the same good news that you and I have the honor of proclaiming as well. That was the commission that these apostles received from Christ. He told them to to travel light, to be prepared to travel quickly, to go from house to house and village to village. They were to take no food, but instead they would be dependent upon those to, to whom they went. And then we get to the scary part. Verse 5. When Christ tells his apostles, and whenever they do not receive you, When you leave that town, shake off the dust of your feet as a testimony against them. Now, what's that about? Well, you know, ever since the Lord appeared to Moses in the burning bush at Mount Horeb, the land of Israel has been understood as being holy ground, as being the holy land. We still think of it, we still recognize it as being that today, don't we? It's the land that the Lord had promised to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and to their descendants after them. And, and 
That was true of Israel while all of the land outside of Israel was inhabited by pagan nations. Israel was holy and the lands outside were pagan. And so a practice developed among the Israelites that whenever an Israelite spent time outside of Israel, when they were returning back into Israel, as they would enter back into the land of Israel, as they were doing that, the person would first stop at the border and shake off the dust of his feet. Why did they do that? They were shaking off that which was unholy so that they would not contaminate, if you will, the holy land of Israel. When Jesus, in verse 5, tells the apostles that if they go to any towns that reject the proclamation of Jesus as being the fulfillment of the good news of the kingdom of God, if any town did that to them, if any town rejected the, the apostles, what were they to do? They were to stand outside that town and shake the dust off of their feet as a testimony against them. In other words, they were to be treated as if they were pagans, even though they were Israelites. They were to be treated as having no part in the holy things of God. If someone rejects you and your testimony about me, Jesus says to the apostles, you have the authority to reject them in my name. And here's why I refer to that as being scary. The Lord is holy. And he will reject those who reject him. People run the risk of presuming upon the patience of the Lord. Thanks be to God, he is long-suffering. And scripture shows us that he's been incredibly patient and long-suffering and gracious towards sinners like you and I. But his patience does have limits. In Matthew 10, 32 through 33, Christ explains, Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. In Exodus 34, 7, he will in no way leave the guilty go unpunished. And we remember Romans 6, 23, that the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Be willing cautiously yet confidently be willing to be Christ's representatives by gently and humbly sharing these truths of Scripture with others. Encourage them with a verse that we use as our call to confession and repentance today from Hebrews 3.15. Today, if you hear his heart, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart's Against him. And pick up the mantle of the ministry of Paul from 2 Corinthians 5 20, 
We are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And again, to help you do that, to help you communicate that message of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we've got those resources for you on the Northex table of two ways to live an evangelism explosion. I also want to offer, if you have anyone in your life who you feel doesn't have a good understanding of what the gospel is, if you would like, I would, I would welcome the opportunity, the honor to have conversation with them, with you, um, and to share that gospel message with them. But a caution, let's not be too quick to want to shake the dust off of our feet towards someone. Again, remember God's patience and long-suffering towards you. Remember that we're no better than anyone else who might not yet be trusting in Jesus. Remember that it's only because of the grace of God that, that he's delivered us from our foolish and our futile ways of thinking and living. And give thanks to the Lord that he's done that for you. And ask him to do it all the more for you as you ask him to do it likewise for that person who you may know who doesn't yet bow their knee before Jesus. A final encouragement. If you delight to hear the good news of the gospel of the kingdom of God fulfilled in Jesus Christ, know that you need never fear having the Lord shake the dust off of his feet towards you. Remember that because of the blood of Jesus Christ once fell upon that dusty ground on your behalf, when Jesus Christ hung on the cross and gave his life as an atoning sacrifice for your law-breaking, for your sins, Remember that he, through faith, he has now caused you to become as holy ground to him, belonging to him, having been made holy, having been made blameless and without spot, all because of the person and work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. Pray with me again. Lord God, we thank you that you did not kick us to the curb. We thank you that you did not shake your feet um, in our direction because of our sinfulness. But Jesus, instead of shaking your feet towards us, you allowed your feet to be pierced with nails for our sake so that we might be made to be holy. Rather than pouring out your wrath upon us, you have chosen instead to pour out your mercy. Lord, we thank you for the faithfulness of the apostles. Because of their faithfulness, and more importantly, even because of your faithfulness, the gospel message has traveled around the world. Lord, be pleased to expand your kingdom, we pray. Be pleased to... Lord, also to use us to that effect. Lord, expand your kingdom in our hearts, in our homes, in our community, 
and in the world. King Jesus, continue to demonstrate your power and authority to do that. And we pray this in your glorious and matchless name. Amen.